How we feeling? What's up, guys? This is How We Feeling Podcast. This is Parshan, and I'm here with Miles, and our special guest today is Sahan Fardi, and his story is honestly one of the most inspirational things I've ever heard in my whole life, and we're going to get into it. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here, and I'm excited to share my story. Definitely excited to be able to give you the opportunity to go ahead and talk a little bit, Sahan. I think more than anything, it's special when you hear different stories about people going through some pretty rough circumstances at a young age and kind of being forced to deal with those things initially and confront them head on and then move forward and watch how that kind of carries them on throughout everything else that they endure throughout life. So definitely some solid tidbits of advice that you should be able to give to some people and I'm excited to hear. Absolutely. Thank you, man. Um, well, if it's cool with you guys, we'll just jump right into the story. Absolutely. Perfect. A um, little bit of more recent background on myself. Uh, I just graduated from UCLA, uh, born and raised in San Jose, California. And um, now back to the the, the meat of the story. Um, so throughout my life, I was a three-sport athlete. Karate and swimming had taken over great portions of my childhood. Um, you know, if I wasn't doing homework, or if I wasn't doing the math problems that my dad would write every night he'd come home, um, I'd be practicing one of those. Um, you know, if it was swimming, it'd be over the summer with swim team and 6 a.m. practices. If it was karate, it'd be after school, you know, training sessions and all that. And soccer always ended my night. Um, the interesting thing is soccer stood out more to me than any of those sports. And the reason behind that is because I grew up in an Iranian family and soccer is such a crucial aspect of the Iranian culture. Um, my dad would play pickup games with his friends in the afternoons on the weekends and we'd always spend Saturday mornings watching European soccer and it was just something that, you know, gave us fire. And so we loved that. And, you know, throughout early elementary to fourth grade, I really saw my soccer career take off um, based off of the amount of time that I had devoted to it and, you know, my true passion for the game. I wasn't a selfish player, or I like to think I wasn't a selfish player. <laughs> I, um, I always saw myself as just as good as the team. So if the team got better, then I got better. Um, and, you know, that's, I think, what got me the team captain position for a lot of the teams that I played for. And I really started seeing my own personal skills develop to a point where I was getting asked by teams to come try out for them um, left and right. And, you know, that made me realize that, you know what, maybe soccer is a crucial part of my future. And, you know, got that dream of becoming a professional player going. So I started working really, really hard on that. Um, until, you know, about midway through my fifth grade year in January, just like any other kid um, with concerned parents, you would always get a flu vaccine um, just to kind of protect yourself. And so I got the flu vaccine, but my experiment, my experience was a little bit different um, in that over the next six months after that, I started to see my body deteriorate in ways that didn't necessarily make sense. You know, from symptoms of stomach pains to migraines to ankle pains to you know, X, Y, and Z, you name it, stuff that didn't connect, I probably had it. Um, you know, we'd go to different doctors and I never got the answer that I wanted. People would say growing pains or it's arthritis or it's a bug that you're going to get over. But what, what were you thinking during that time? When you were like going back and forth with doctors, like what was the answer you wanted? You know, the biggest answer was, you know, 
why or what mm -hmm. like, you know, what is happening to me Mm -hmm. Why am I not able to play soccer like mm -hmm. I used to be able to? Because mm -hmm. um, it was the start of a new season. Right. And, um, you know, I thought of my body as kind of like, you know, a car engine when it starts up in the morning and needs a little bit of time to get going. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, okay, you know, the ankle pains and everything that I'm feeling right now in my body probably is, you know, took it too easy for the past couple of months of the off season. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that just wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was tough to you know see that and see myself worsening but not get the answers that i needed yeah. mm -hmm. um because ultimately i wanted to keep playing and yeah. i didn't want anything yeah. to stand in front of me no. yeah. um <clears throat> so fast forward to june of that same year um i was seeing a uh, specialist in stanford for arthritis my mom does have arthritis so they thought maybe there's a connection you know like an onset um an early onset i should say after a few minutes of her examination, um, she said, you know, this child needs to get to the ER, the ER immediately. And so my parents, you know, freaked out, took me to the ER near my house. And, you know, they did a procedure known as a spinal tap. A spinal tap is a procedure where they stick a needle that is extremely, extremely long into your spine and try to draw any sort of fluid. Uh, the fluid in my spine, unfortunately, was very, very thick, so they weren't able to get a lot. But, you know, needless to say, it was a very, very painful procedure and probably the most painful procedure I've gone through to date. You know, I was face first in a pillow. I couldn't necessarily breathe. I was screaming. Um, and I mean, I was in fifth grade. I yeah, mean, this is stuff that you just in your wildest dreams as a fifth grader, you think, you know, my fear is oh, being stung by a bee or right. like something my like that. My fear in fifth grade was the dark. <laughs> like, actually. Like, Me too. What? <laughs> I always thought, you know, what something's going to come out of my closet, like full on Monsters, Inc. But yeah, I know. <laughs> Damn. Um, so that was tough. And, you know, after testing the fluid that they got, I was able to get a, an answer and a diagnosis of something known as Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, the ER doctor described it as something that is extremely rare. Um, you know, anywhere from one to 100,000 or one to 500,000 people who get the flu vaccine. Um, would get this and the reason why the the probability is such a wide range is because age plays a factor mm -hmm. if you're really old um, you have a much higher likelihood of getting it um, so for a kid to get it absurd. was just you know yeah like you said absurd um, and the ER doctor went on to say how lucky you are to be alive because apparently I didn't know this but the um, the virus was just a few hours to maybe like a day or two away from hitting my diaphragm wow. and just causing full-on suffocation um so when you know i get to you know when i say like i was on the brink of death like quite literally you know that's that's where i was mm -hmm. um so, so it was tough um you know it's a tough pill to swallow and you know you find yourself always wanting you know i found myself wanting to the wanting the answer for the past six months like, what is it? What is it? What is it? And then it's, you know, way worse than I could have ever imagined it being. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, from that point on, for about five days, I was put into the hospital as admitted as a just a regular pediatric patient. Um, this treatment or this virus didn't have a cure and still doesn't have a cure to this day. And I should say what it is. So Guillain-Barre syndrome is a condition where your immune system is manipulated into attacking your nerves mm -hmm. and eating at your nerves. It's very similar to a condition known as MS or multiple sclerosis, mm -hmm. 
Um, but, you know, it can cause death immediately if not attended to. And so I was admitted. Um, they gave me a treatment known as IVIG. Um, it's a very generic treatment that prevents a condition from worsening, not necessarily a cure for this, um, for, a for about five days. General protocol for that treatment. Um, came out of the hospital. I was feeling fine. I was weak, but I didn't have any paralysis. I was in high spirits. I was eager to get back onto the soccer field. Um, I came back after a month and, you know, I started seeing things getting way worse. And that's when I had a relapse. And at this point, full-on paralysis happened all over my body. Um, to the point where, you know, my parents would tell me, you know, son, please smile, just smile. And I wouldn't be able to, or like, it would be like a, like a crooked smile. Or like, they'd tell me to raise my eyebrows and I'm like, mom, I'm trying. Um, but my face wouldn't move. Um, which is tough. It's really tough yeah, to hear. I can't, even, yeah. I can't even put myself in that situation yeah. at all. I can't even imagine how difficult that was, you know, for your parents. You look at having this child and having them be so young, but they're going through an experience, one, that can't even be explained by professionals yeah. in the field, mm -hmm. more or less. And then two, you know, you know that your child just wants to play and enjoy life, and that's all you could ever hope for. Right. And right in front of your eyes, you're seeing the struggle of someone so close to you that mm -hmm. you never thought would be an issue. Yeah. My parents um, are, I've been blessed with phenomenal parents. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that they would always tell me is, you know, it is the hardest thing to see your child go through something before you do mm -hmm. and to be, uh, you know, as close to death before you are. Mm -hmm. No parent ever wants to go through that. And I think mm -hmm. that was something that was so, so hard for my parents. Yeah. Um, with my mom having to, deal with the education system and trying to explain, hey, we don't know what's going on with him. Or like, you know, dealing with doctors to try to get the answers. Or my dad having to, you know, work and pay for everything um, regarding my hospital visits and all that kind of stuff. To, you know, after we're coming home and just, you know, seeing me in the situation that I'm in and seeing me struggle is not something you want to experience as a parent. No. I'm not Absolutely a parent, not. but... Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, gets like, all those questions they ask as a parent, as someone who's, like, trying to protect you, is like, what if, what if, what if this, what if that, you know, and that's just, like, I can't even imagine. Absolutely. I can't imagine any of this. Absolutely. Like, what? Um, and I think, you know, the whole parental aspect is something that the three of us won't necessarily understand until we become parents. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I can only imagine. So, um... Back to the story. So I got it. I had the relapse. Um, and at this point, you know, my parents were fed up with the the medical system in Northern California and the doctors that I had seen. Um, my mom's extended family lives in Minnesota. Um, luckily, uh, in Rochester, Minnesota is one of the best medical institutions in the entire world, known as the Mayo Clinic. Mm -hmm. um, these guys are you know, they call them, or they're called the the gods of medicine, or like the saviors of medicine, because the interesting about them is, regardless of how many patients they see, their salary does not change. A lot of doctors, you know, they get paid based off of the number of the people that they see, and the number of insurances they contact, and that's what's different about the Mayo Clinic is, um, you know, they're not like that. So my parents are like, you know what, let's go out there. Let's see if we can get the answers that we, we need. So we go, um, and I remember going there, 
and seeing like the sheer diversity of all the patients that were there. We're talking people from all over the world that were there seeking the same answers that I was seeking. Um, and, you know, I tell this story to people, um, well, my story, and they think, oh, my God, like this it cannot be any worse for any kid than this. Um, but, you know, I was still able to talk. I was still able to breathe. I was able to wake up that morning. Yes, I was on a wheelchair. I was very weak. I was paralyzed. Um, but I just thought, you know, this is nowhere near as bad as some of the other kids that I saw in that same waiting room. And, you know, the the struggles that they had gone through, you know, 10 plus hour flights, international flights yeah. to get there. Whereas for me, I've been blessed with, you know, that was simply just a domestic flight. Mm -hmm. um, and I was able to stay with family. I um, spent about two and a half hours with that doctor. Unheard of. You never, you know, spent can picture, yeah, with yeah. a doctor. And she was a pediatric neurologist. And she ended up, um, you know, saying that the way that I was treated in California was completely wrong with the whole five-day generic treatment of IVIG because the doctor that had prescribed that didn't see that it took six months of deterioration on my body um, for like with Guillain-Barre and five days was not going to you know protect me from six months yeah. so she ended up putting me on about a year of on and off IVIG um, I started it in Minnesota and then I came over to California um, so I was in another hospital and went from, you know, once a week to once every other week to, you know, every month. And, you know, it was tough to get poked with a needle every time yeah. um, to get a start an IV. So they ended up putting a pick line into my arm, which was, you know, another one, painful procedure mm -hmm. that was essentially a tube that they put in the um, kind of like in between my bicep and my tricep that went all the way up into where my neck is. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like a port for, you know, administering the IV. And that was a painful procedure because I couldn't necessarily be numbed. Again, as a kid, not with something you want to go through. Um, in the moment, you know, it was something that was super, super painful, but I, you know, understood that it was preventing me from getting poked with a needle every time. With that said, I wasn't able to go to school my sixth grade year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Parshan was mm -hmm. my um, my schoolmate for many, many years. In sixth grade, the first year of middle school, I was not able to attend um, because I was in and out of the hospital. I had two phenomenal, phenomenal teachers. Miss um, Delbridge, Miss Chicha, if you guys hear this, I, I owe everything to you guys. Um, who would come home and teach me mm -hmm. um, so I wouldn't fall behind. And, you know, I wanted that. You know, I never wanted to fall behind from school yeah. or sports. I would even go to practices, games with my teammates, um, a couple of Parshans games, because I didn't want that to define my life, even mm -hmm. though internally I was, like, constantly asking myself, you know, why yeah. me? Yeah. Um, and feel free to interrupt me at any time if you guys have any questions. Dude, I'm just listening. I've, yeah, I've. I haven't even heard this much about it. It's, this is just insane. So sixth grade year, I was on a wheelchair. Um, you know, if I wanted to walk, I would use a walker. Mm -hmm. I'd get fatigued after a couple steps. Um, you know, it was not possible. And, you know, I just kept thinking, you know, what 
what did I do to go through all of this? You know, my dream was soccer. Mm -hmm. You know, at this point, I was thinking, you know, I don't think I'm going to ever be able to step foot on a soccer yeah. field again. Yeah. It took, you know, months to years of physical therapy. And, you know, I built a, I didn't have many friends mm -hmm. because I was home. Mm -hmm. I was grateful that I had a lot of phenomenal visitors, but I did not have the same connection of a student. In like school. Right. So you're going to middle school. You haven't made those like new friends and everything. Right. So there must have been like. A yeah. Lot of other stuff on your plate you're thinking about. Exactly. I wasn't, you know, having that mm -hmm. tight knit, you know, spend time together at lunch or yeah. break mm -hmm. or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So my best friends came, became the people that I was spending the majority of my time with. Mm -hmm. And that was my physical therapy crew. Um, you know, they were a phenomenal, phenomenal group. And they were also, you know, given the tough task of keeping a child's spirits high mm -hmm. while also, you know, helping him recover yeah. and you know they used to call me it made no sense but we loved it and we kept going with it it was my name was steve with two v's and an r where the r is if it's silent no one knows to this day um but you know it was stuff like that yeah. and like talking about sports that kept me going mm -hmm. um and i felt normal and you were you know, able to like have this like thought that was haunting you become like a more of a, like a light in a sense exactly 100 percent. you know i remember spending one of my birthdays there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i took a cake and you know during during their lunch break at the end of my session we cut my birthday cake and i thought that was you know so cool yeah um so fast forward through that and then seventh grade was the first year i got to go back to school i was mm -hmm. on a wheelchair it was phenomenal to get to see my friends mm -hmm. um yeah, but you know i, I yeah. yeah, and, you know, it was people who, you know, were friends from elementary school or from new friends that I had to make. Mm -hmm. um, it felt great. You know, I was super excited the first day of school to go back. Um, but, you know, one of the tough parts about middle school is you you experience a lot of bullying and a lot yeah. of, because of the changes that a lot of people go through. There's always, there's always that. You yeah. always see it, and that's literally because, like, I don't know, whatever it is, yeah. they're putting on whoever is because they're getting that put on them right mm -hmm. um and i was you know i was on a wheelchair i had worn leg braces because mm -hmm. you know even though i had recovered from some of the paralysis mm -hmm. i wasn't able to fully walk on my own mm -hmm. and you know beginning of the school year it's august it's a hot it's a hot period of time i wanted to wear shorts and i wore shorts and the one and only thing that i got besides like you know hey welcome back was constant stares at my leg braces mm -hmm. you know it, it honestly made me feel like I was being looked at as like that robotic kid mm -hmm. and everyone had this thought in the back of my mind in the back of their mind like hey you know what like why is he different like oh my god he's so different than us mm -hmm. um and you know I couldn't wear shorts from that moment on because I was like you know what I don't, don't want people I don't want to go through that yeah, yeah. yeah. um so uh, that was my seventh grade year. I made a lot of phenomenal, phenomenal friendships. Mm -hmm. um, I was excited to be back in the classroom. Um, eighth grade year, I was able to walk on my own um, with the help of an aide. Still wearing the leg braces, mm -hmm. but you know, going through physical therapy, this whole process really got me to walking. And um, that was also great, but I just kept itching for that independence. And that yeah, was exactly. what fueled me 
to going through physical therapy. And in the back of my mind, I want everyone to know that I still had the thought of, you know, what is going to happen with soccer? Yeah. Why, you know, when yeah, and why? You got, we got those, we edited your cleats. Exactly. Yeah, yep. yeah, that was super I still fun. have them in my room. You know, I still <laughs> have my name on my cleats. Yeah. And, you know, I just kept asking myself, why? And I remember this whole time, you know, we would go down to L.A. to visit family with my friends or with my parents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of my favorite soccer stores was down there. And I would always talk to my mom when we would, you know, visit. I'd be like, Mom, you know what? When I get better, I want these bright yellow cleats. I will never forget mm -hmm. them. They're like the banana yellow Nike Mercurial cleats. I kept telling her, Mom, well, the first time I play a game, these are the cleats I want to play with. Um, she kept saying, you know what? Absolutely. Let's do it. So ninth grade, ninth grade was a big year. Um, I was able to graduate from having a, um, a human aid and I was able to carry my own backpack and walk on my own from class to class. I still had my, my leg braces on and I still do to this day, mm -hmm. but you know, it was still an independence that I was, you know, I had felt such a finally. Yeah, finally. Yeah. I was like, you know what, this is part of the accomplishment that mm -hmm. I wanted to achieve. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as, you know, sophomore year, junior year, I, keep t I kept taking steps towards that. Mm -hmm. And junior year came around, and I'm like, you know what, like, I don't want to give up on sports. And I'm itching to go back to it. But, you know, I, you know, I wanted to do something big. And talking to some of the soccer coaches on campus and around, I had a lot of... And it sounds super cliche, but it's true. I had a lot of haters and a lot of doubters. People that thought, you know what, oh, he's not going to be, mm -hmm. you know, the Sahan that he was in fourth grade or the soccer prodigy that he was at that point. So, understandably, it was risky giving me a soccer. It was risky giving me a spot on the roster. But, you know, I wasn't, like, okay with that. I mm -hmm. kept wanting something more. Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, you know what, okay, if these guys aren't going to give me a chance, you know, what can I do? And so then I thought, what's what's a little bit more aggressive than soccer? <laughs> High school football. High school football. <laughs> so I went up and I talked to the coach one day after class. I'm like, hey, coach, this is my story. Um, sports is a has played a crucial, crucial part of my life, and mm -hmm. I never want to give up on it. You know, what options do I have? Can I, you know, work towards getting a roster spot? He looked at me and he's like, you know what? Like, we know who you are. We know what you went through. We know who you were as a soccer player as well. You know, your name is not, you know, something that's very, you know, unheard of in the community. So he said, you know, I will give you a shot on the roster if you continue to pursuing physical therapy. And I will let you suit up the first moment that you get approval from your physical therapist. So I'm like, okay, great. So my junior year. I attended every spring, spring training practice, every summer practice, mm -hmm. every regular season practice. I wasn't able to play. You know, I kept thinking, you know, oh, this week's the week, oh, next week's the week. But I, I had to listen to my body mm -hmm. and my physical therapist. That's the hardest. You're right. That's the hardest. But you know what? I kept thinking, you know what? I'm not going to be someone that just stands on the sideline. Yeah. Um, so I studied the playbook. Um, I helped my teammates. I helped yeah. the coaches. I tried to at least contribute because like yeah. I said with soccer I'm just as good as Everyone the team mm -hmm. so you know what let me try to help the team by helping myself gain the knowledge of the playbook mm -hmm. and so I did that all of my junior year and I developed such a tight-knit community and friend and you know team and 
friendship with all the teammates and that felt like soccer all over again and then senior year came around I'm like you know what this season it's happening Um, I've worked hard as always and I pushed through the middle of the season of um, football the regular season I got the okay from my physical physical therapist to suit up Mm -hmm. wasn't able to run um, you know, wasn't able to get into the trenches and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? At least I was able to do something. Yeah. I was able to jog, mm-hmm. suit up with my leg braces. And that was, that was a feeling of, you know what? I made it. And, you know, it was, I can't even put it into words, the feeling that I experienced when I stepped foot onto the field. Um, you know, Friday night lights. Mm-hmm. It's a typical high school experience. Yeah. You just hear people cheering. And I heard my name. And I still carried the same number that I wore throughout all of my soccer career. And that was number 17. And so it was so, so, so amazing to be able to throw on that number 17 again. Because that's who I was. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I suited up for the rest of that season. And um, I was a fighter throughout all aspects of life. Um, To the point where, like I said, I didn't want my education to fall either. I didn't want any part of my life to be defined by Guillaume Beret. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, I just, like, have, like, seen you grow for that whole time. Like, you know, I'm, I've just been, like, watching all this happen. And, like, mm-hmm. for me, just seeing that, like, god damn, this kid does not take no for an answer for anything. <laughs> He's always trying to be involved and be the best at anything he can. And, mm-hmm. like, it's just taking these, like, little nibbles, little nibbles, little nibbles to just right. keep getting better. And, like, that's truly something that you don't really see in anyone, mm-hmm. you know? You know, I was a... You know, I remember scrolling through Twitter one day when I was um, an inpatient in the hospital, and I came across something that, you know, it's stuff like this, and it's moments like this that you just have no explanation for. Mm-hmm. It said, God gives his toughest battles to his toughest soldiers. Yes. I am not a religious person, but that really, really stuck with me. Yeah. And that, with another experience that my dad had in the midst of, you know, trying to figure out what was going on with me, um, my dad was fighting for a parking spot at work <laughs> <laughs> and he got cut off and my dad was like pissed off you know he was tired the night before we were trying to go to the doctors and trying to figure out what was going on he was going through a whirlwind of emotions he was ready to just you know just you know have at it with this guy and just throw everything he had at him and then his eye caught a glimpse at his license plate and his license plate said leave it to god mm-hmm. And my dad started bawling at that moment. You know, he got, you know, at that, that point, my dad was like, you know what? Okay. Cool. I needed to see that. Yeah. My dad was like, call him, call him. He needed yeah. to hear yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I didn't want any part of my life to, to fall to the point where I managed to get accepted into my dream school. From a child, UCLA was my dream school. Um, and that was like, you know what? I wasn't going to give up on that, and it was also a surreal experience, and it was so weird. I, I remember going through that whole experience, and I was like, oh, God, I'm being denied by this school, that school, that yeah. school. And I'm like, you know what? There's no way I'm getting into UCLA if all these like, if all these other schools yeah. aren't accepting me. But I got into UCLA. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how the hell did that happen? That's <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's honestly amazing. Yeah. Um, I studied neuroscience. Um, I wanted to learn more about my body and what had gone on with my body. And um, that fueled my desire to be pre-med. And because, you know, I never wanted, and to this day, I still never want a child to go through the same experiences that I went through. Mm -hmm. Every child deserves to be a child. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I have any 
duty to contribute to that, then I feel like that's the the purpose of my life. Mm -hmm. So oh, yeah. that has fueled me to where I am today. Um, you know, it's a long journey, but you know, I am very, very grateful mm -hmm. to be able to wake up every morning um, knowing that, you know, there was one point in my life where I didn't get to do this. So now you're doing everything. Yeah. yeah. You're doing yeah. everything, dude. You're doing everything. You're now you have your um for your tomorrow channel too. Like yeah. you guys should check that out. Definitely uh, talk to us a little bit more about yeah, that. Yeah, talk to us about the what what made that like why are we like, okay, let me do this whole for your tomorrow yeah. thing. Um so throughout my whole experience with Guillaume Bure, um it really resonated with me the whole idea of you never really know the value of something until you don't have it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And, you know, that for me, that was walking. It was soccer. It was being a kid. I didn't realize, dang, like, you know, I really took all this for granted. Mm -hmm. um, and then once your life slows down and you can't do any of that, then you really start getting the perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know what, for me, it was kind of like, you know what, I really experienced this perspective too late. And for a lot of individuals, it's the same deal. Like, you know, you never really understand the importance of walking. You never really think about it. In the moment, you don't yeah. think about it. Like, you're, you're grocery shopping, for example, and you're, you know, pushing a cart, running around these aisles. But you're never really thinking about, you know, taking every single step and how much mm -hmm. that really means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, For Your Tomorrow is an Instagram page that has daily tips, Monday through Friday, of various categories that promote self-development, self-growth. Whether that be fashion on Mondays to cosmetics on Tuesdays to lifestyle Wednesdays and then workforce tips on Thursdays and then finally science tips. And, you know, they're all very short two minute IGTV videos or Instagram TV, I should say, um, focused on finding ways in which you can gain that perspective that I'm talking about and find ways that you can make that connection and grow to be the best version that you are in an aspect that you weren't necessarily considering before. Like, for example, with science, one of the big things is it's crazy how we take, like, a Tylenol, and yet we don't know what a Tylenol does in our body, um, which is crazy. I mean, you don't need to be a science major or a doctor or anything to understand that if it affects your body. Mm -hmm. um, Do you think, like, half the time you're taking the Tylenol or taking whatever it is, it's all placebo? You know, I think it's... I think the, So to directly answer the question, uh -huh. no. No. Okay. I think... The medication, the drug that you take, does have a very big impact mm -hmm. on what you're, um, what you're requiring. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, I do believe that to an extent, some of it is, um, you know, psychological, where mm -hmm. you think like, oh, like I am feeling better. Oh, like I'm feeling something mm -hmm. um, that may or may not actually be connected to the medication that you mm -hmm. took. Um, and I feel like those are all things that people need to be aware of. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, if you, Parshan, if you wanted to take a Tylenol, for yeah. migraine, just because someone told you that Tylenol is great for migraines, you know, that's, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like someone saying, jump off a bridge, it's good for you, you're going to relax, but yeah. mm -hmm. not really knowing anything behind the decision. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, that's essentially what I'm trying to, trying to fuel, uh -huh. is knowing that, and knowing what you're putting into your body. You and know, know what you're putting Right, into right. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. I, I can't even explain like how powerful. And that's what I love about is that you're doing. Yeah, it's like you're doing. You're not mm -hmm. stopping for anything. You're doing. You're going. You're moving forward. And that's something that like everyone has to be able to like see. It's like, look, 
Yeah. There's no, I don't take no for an answer. Mm -hmm. I'm moving forward. And I genuinely think platforms like For For You Tomorrow, uh, well, For You Tomorrow and How We Feeling um, can really help with that and, you know, give individuals on a more relaxed and like pressure free environment to grow and to want to better themselves. So that's why I love what you guys are doing. And I'm excited to be a part of it because it's, you know, our missions are the same. Our yeah, motives are the same. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Damn, you have anything else to say, Miles? Or? No, man. I mean, I think the beauty of, I won't say the beauty of, obviously, situations like this are tough. But I think having the ability to be able to go through something like this at such a young age and getting that sense of, you know, just... I won't even say accomplishment, but more so having the opportunity to learn these lessons and be placed in these situations and get that growth that comes from at an early age. It kind of gives you almost a bulletproof shield or yeah. bulletproof, you know, sort of armor, right? Mm-hmm. Because at this point now, you know what your mission is moving forward. Right. You know you've been through so many different trials that mm-hmm. have put you to the test, but right. if that's the hardest thing you have to deal with up to this point forward. Anything mm-hmm. else after that's going to be a breeze, and yeah. you continue to carry that same amount of energy for other people when mm-hmm. they see that, whether they're going through something like that or not, and you yeah. can't help but kind of keep that gaze, you know, focused and, and, 100%. and have that perspective that if you can do that at that young, you know, I might be okay doing what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. And you know, it. I'm human. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say I'm a positive robot 24-7, 365. <laughs> right. yeah. Nobody is. Right. Um, right. And you know, there are moments in time where I'm like, oh man, I don't want to do this or oh, I don't have the motivation to do this. Mm-hmm. But then that's when you, that's when for me, I look down and I see my leg braces or I, you know, stand up and I realize that I can stand up and I'm like, you know what? It's not so bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, and it also, you know, it's the whole idea of, like, how people with disabilities, going back to the whole um, being, like, a robot and wearing Mm -hmm. shorts thing, one of the things that I try to communicate with my story is, you know what, people with disabilities or people with stories are not, are not abnormal people. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, this whole idea of survival of the fittest and natural selection is always in people's minds. Yeah, Right, and that's what, you know, it fuels the... The idea for being like, oh, I want to be a social media star or I want to be, you know, this famous, that famous. Yeah. Because you always feel like you're competing with everyone around you. Uh, we can get into this yeah. so we can, hard. Yeah. Yeah. Can. yeah, I know. It's just like, exactly. Like, keep going. It, but it's just, that's not the case. It's not. Like, the only person that you should be competing with yourself is yourself. Yeah. Right. And just focus on building the best version of yourself and then don't worry about what other people are doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. because the best version of yourself is authentic. Exactly. And that's yourself and that's what's going to make you grow in whatever it is yeah. and like people don't realize that like yeah. we're gonna get into social media we can get into it a little bit yeah it's basically like as you see on instagram everything's right. glamour of life everything's like how many followers i have all this all that blah blah mm-hmm. blah and like people are editing their editing editing their photos to look like these um influencers and yeah. stuff like that and it's honestly truly like mind-boggling like why are people doing this yeah. you know but it is and it's truly like a huge mental health problem mm-hmm. social media what, what social media has brought today is brought on so many mental health problems especially for millennials yeah and, right. and it's just the hardest and they don't even realize it in the moment they don't realize it mm-hmm. until they like take that step back and look into themselves and be like okay why am i doing all this right and it's beautiful to see um a lot of the current generation utilizing their expertise and their knowledge of social media platforms mm-hmm. to promote things like racial equality mm-hmm. and especially in the time that we live in right yeah, now right. um you know and at the same time it's unfortunate to see those individuals and those influencers that are 
still posting as if life is completely normal. Yeah, there's nothing's going on. Where every so much is going yeah. on, right? Exactly yeah. like you said. Um, so it's unfortunate to see that, but it's also very, very encouraging to see the younger generation um, combating that and mm-hmm. fixing that yeah. to create a better future, not only for themselves, but for future generations after yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very, very encouraging. And I love the fact that that's being done. Um, but yeah, people of a different background than what you have are not abnormal. Right. That's no. the that's the theme. It's mm-hmm. just different perspectives. Yeah. Exactly. It's so different than anything than you've ever experienced before, right. right? But it's not doesn't take away from the reality of everybody else's mm-hmm. situation. And once you get a person talking, I guarantee you they have a story to tell. Oh, everybody oh, yeah. does. Yeah. Everyone you know. does. And yeah. they just they just think their story is not good enough to tell, but everyone's story has meaning. Absolutely. You know, and that's what a lot of people don't understand. Like that's why people don't want to be vulnerable they don't want to do that even though that's best for them they mm-hmm. don't want to do it because mm-hmm. it's like oh this means nothing compared to like this person this means nothing no they're all worth something it's all something and as long know? as you have a, always value yeah and as long as you have a way to be vulnerable and to not be judged like something like how we feeling mm-hmm. then you're building a better version of yourself and also helping another individual who may be going through the same thing yeah mm-hmm. exactly you know more often times than not you know, you're going through a situation and you're so focused on how am I dealing with this? What am I going to get from this when everything is better? You know, when things yeah. are all said and done. But even throughout that time, you're really not thinking about how much of an impact can I have on someone from bearing down and getting through yeah. this? And how can they look at me as that positive light going mm-hmm. through something similar? Or, you know, yeah. even just kind of seeing that mm-hmm. and relating it back to whatever it is that they're going through. Yeah. You know? And like you can't build or help another individual if you don't help yourself first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's the purpose of For Tomorrow. It's like yeah. try to build yourself before mm-hmm. you offer help to another individual. Mm-hmm. Exactly like how when you get on a plane, they say to parents, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first before that of your child. Because mm-hmm. um, like if you suffocate, if you fall, then you're taking two people down with you yeah, as well. Exactly. What good does that do at yeah. that point? Right? It doesn't. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Good points all around. <laughs> good stuff, San. Honestly, words cannot even describe any of this but it's truly a great like you brought a great perspective on life thank you and it's honestly very empowering Mm -hmm. thank you and thank you so much for sharing all this with us of course I'm always an open book any person that is listening to this that wants to reach out or has questions further questions you know reach out yeah I love talking about this and I love helping others so absolutely yeah yeah thank you so much and everyone follow for you tomorrow it's gonna be huge Trust me, it's it's gonna get there. Thank Definitely. you. Definitely. Take it easy, you guys. Have a good one. Bye. Peace. <laughs>